Jesus before Pilate and the soldiers mock Jesus. You'll find that on page 1550. Matthew chapter 27 from verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony these are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail the king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took a staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, the boy Samuel was encouraged by the priest Eli to pray, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Today we pray, speak, Lord, because we are listening. We long 
to hear you. We long to hear your truth. We long to know you better and to love you more. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Decisions, decisions, decisions. We face them daily. Some of them are repeated day after day. Some are frequent, some are annual. And even less, some are once in a lifetime. Decisions, decisions, decisions. Some are trivial, some impact on the lives of others. Some are important, some are crucial, some are monumental. Decisions, decisions, decisions. Some are subconscious and almost instantaneous, whilst others are prolonged and are made under pressure, sometimes immense pressure. There has been some research that suggests that adults make up to 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000. That means a lot of them are made unconsciously and are non-decisions to us. 35,000 decisions. A study in 2007 at Cornwall University in the States suggested that people make on average 200 food-related decisions a day. 200 food-related decisions a day. Wow, I wonder how many food-related decisions Jamie Oliver makes. (laughs) We are all very well-versed in decision-making, whether we realise it or not. On the morning of Jesus' crucifixion, Pontius Pilate had a number of related decisions to make regarding the identity and the subsequent fate of Jesus of Nazareth. These were life and death decisions. He had heard conflicting stories. He was now being given conflicting information. He himself was conflicted. Pilate had undoubtedly heard a lot about Jesus before this moment, before he received the fake news from the Sanhedrin a few hours earlier. He would have known from events earlier in the week, if not before, that there was talk about this Jesus, a prophet, a teacher who was gaining a growing following. He probably would have heard in a shout in the crowd that this man was a descendant of a former king, an ancient king, an ancient king of the Jews named David. Of course, this man would have no importance, no jurisdiction in Pilate's province. He'd also been described as a man of integrity, unlike Pilate or the priests. Now he's hearing some strange terminology, like son of man. Such a title held no special meaning for him. However, the title son of God did prick his attention because his boss, Caesar Augustus, had claimed himself to be the son of God. And so he must have been thinking, is he challenging Caesar? And there's more mentions of him 
being some sort of saviour. And now the chief priests are alleging that this descendant of a former king is claiming to be the king of the Jews. But at that moment, standing beaten and bound before him, he didn't look regal, threatening or in any way impressive. Is he the king of the Jews? Well, let me take you back at this point to Phil Kern's sermon on Matthew 2 in January. Of course, of course, you all remember it so clearly, don't you? Uh, But some of you weren't here, so let me just make the point that I want to make. Philip pointed out that when the Magi came to Herod, they were looking for the king of the Jews. They were looking for the king of the Jews. Not someone who was going to be king of the Jews, but someone who was already born king. And as such, they were seeking the promised king, God's chosen king, the Messiah. Philip pointed out that Jesus, from birth, is that king. The rightful king. The one who will not be the king of the Jews, but who is indeed the king of the Jews. So in a sense, Pilate is faced with the same dilemma as Herod. We know Herod's response. He spilt innocent blood of many children in an attempt to eliminate this possible rival. What will Pilate do? How will he answer and respond to that question that is rolling around in his head? Who is this man? There are many factors in play that will influence Pilate and influence his decision. Firstly, he wants to keep the peace. His preferred way is the Roman way, Pilate's way, to silence critics and potential rivals and to squash up risings with violence. But there is something different about this man, something intriguing, something that brings great amazement in verse 14 to the governor. He is bewildering. He's unique. He knows that like himself, the priests are acting out of self-interest. Verse 18, for he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed him over to him. Self-interest is the overriding consideration for Pilate, for the priests, for the crowds, for everyone here, except Jesus. In our decision-making, self-interest often plays a huge part. In our decision-making, on occasions, we are open to the advice of others close to us. Here, Pilate is advised by his wife that Jesus is an innocent man. A viewpoint that Pilate is drawn to. Against this, the crowd are stirred to bay for his blood by the chief priests and the elders. And so they shout for the other Jesus, Jesus Barabbas. Pilate asks for the crowd's opinion. He wants them to decide on his behalf. 
but he's unsure if he likes what he hears. They're crying for Barabbas. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Crucify him. Pilate, the one who is seemingly in charge of this whole process, is still not convinced that the case against Jesus has been made. What crime has he committed? Did you notice that nobody answers this question? What crime has he committed? They don't give an answer. They just shout all the louder, crucify him. Pilate is looking for answers. And maybe at some points he's even looking for the truth. But the pressure rises. And as the voices get louder, he's looking for a way out. He's already uh, provided himself with some wriggle room by offering Barabbas as a scapegoat. However, in the end, he succumbs. He abdicates his responsibility. And again, like the Pharisees, he passes a buck and lets others decide. He's not prepared to stand up and make the decision himself. Pilate knows what's going on here. He has enough information and enough insight to make a fair judgment. But he will not. It's not that he cannot. He will not. This powerful man is weak. He is complicit. No outward washing of hands. No shouting, it's your responsibility. Like the priests had done to Judas. None of this will compensate. His non-decision is a decision. His non-decision is a decision. And it doesn't set him free from guilt. Meanwhile, the innocent man doesn't seek to prove his innocence. The innocent man stands there. In contrast to Pilate and the priest, knowing their guilt, who declare themselves innocent... Jesus stands there quietly. Men of power, playing God, doing what only God has the right to do. To take life and to declare innocence. Pilate hands Jesus over to be flogged and crucified. The soldiers have sided with the crowd. He is no king. And they seem to take great delight in mocking and deriding him, just like the Sanhedrin had done the night before. And moments after all the people had shouted, his blood is on us and our children, more of his innocent blood was spilt. Unbeknown to them, Jesus' blood was going to be on them and on their children, and on their children's children, and on their children's children's children, but in a way that they couldn't envisage. In a way that would give them access to freedom, the freedom that they're so much yearning for. But did they realise they needed this blood, this cleansing blood? 
They all had made their decisions about Jesus. They are all guilty. The chief priests and the elders who had handed Jesus over, Pilate, the weak, indecisive bully, the crowds, the guards, they all share in the guilt. And this is the point that Matthew was making. They are all responsible. They are all guilty. Because he wants us to know that with the death of Jesus, redemption will be offered to all. To all. Pilate's decision, although extremely personal, reflects a crucial decision that we all need to make personally. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? There are various ways in which we can deal with this question and the decision that it begs us to make. There are those who wash their hands of Jesus as though he is inconsequential to life, life here and now, and life beyond this life. But how can you discard the most written about person in history? How can you just simply wash your hands of that person? They think to themselves, who needs a king in the 21st century? And this is an attitude of self-sufficiency. I've got all that it takes. I've got all that it needs to live life to the full. I've got all the resources. But yet they complain, don't they, when things go wrong and they can't control things. But they wash their hands and think they can do without this man. Others are a bit more concerned about this Jesus and they are also like Pilate in wanting to let others decide for them. They demand that others take the responsibility. They pass the buck thinking that they no longer need to personally decide. But, but having said that, they have made a decision. Often these people are swayed by the loudest voices they follow the most popular option so that they can fit in, so that they can maintain the status quo. Like Pilate, they are conveniently ignoring the sound advice from those close to them, conveniently ignoring the promptings within to ask again and again, who is this man? So instead of using their own reason, and making a prayerful decision, they allow others to do that for him. Perhaps there are others still who look for excuses and loopholes in order to defer a decision. And Pilate was trying to put it off, put it off, hoping things would change. Looking for a loophole so that you can make a decision at another time, another place, convincing yourself that no decision 
is okay. However, by doing this, haven't we already made a decision? Haven't we already made a decision for King B over King Jesus? Is it self-interest getting in the way again, getting in the way of clear-minded, objective decision-making? I have no doubts that most of you, if not all of you here, know what's going on. And you can see that Jesus was innocent. But not just an innocent man, he was much, much more. You can see that he was the Messiah, that he is the rightful ruler, that he is God's son, that he is the crucified one for you, that he is the one who can open the gates of glory. There are those, of course, who mock and deride, who strip Jesus of his deity, saying he's just a man, just a man, in an attempt to cut him down to size and make him more manageable. But by stripping him of his true identity, by stripping him of his glory, his power, his love, his grace, we are effectively crucifying him again. So what shall I do then? with Jesus who is called the Messiah. This is obviously an important decision. If he is indeed the Messiah, if he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, your personal response is crucial. This is crucial because life hangs on this. Life hangs in the balance. And and life beyond this hangs in the balance. So if you haven't made the decision to give your life to Christ because he has given his life for you, please continue the conversation. Please continue asking a question. Please chat with me or someone else who can help you to consider it further. As with all the gospel passages that we've read in Matthew, There is a whole lot going on here. And there's always more than you can grasp. There's something going on here that easily escapes our attention. Um, What I find interesting here is Jesus teaching about how we can face death. What I find interesting here is what Pilate finds intriguing. What amazed Pilate amazes me. In the midst of the political machinations, the shouting, the denigration, the violence, the noise, Jesus remains silent. Oh yes, he answers the first question, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so. But otherwise there are no answers, no replies, no counter-arguments, no self-defence, only silence. A silence that at the very least is intriguing, isn't it? In this silence, Jesus shows us how to prepare for death. 
how to face death. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Facing death, he entrusts himself to God. The God of justice, the God of grace, the God in whom we can trust. If we have acknowledged that we share in the sin that placed Jesus on the cross, if we have acknowledged that we too are responsible, if we have sought the forgiveness that only God can give, we too can face death with great confidence. We can know that our destiny rests safely in the hands of the one who has gone before us. We can know that our destiny remains safe in the hands of the one who has promised not to wash his hands of us. We can know that death is a portal to life. We can know that resurrection is woven into the very fabric of creation. But more of that next Sunday. We can know that God's main business is renewal, not waste disposal. Jesus and this identity decision about Jesus is most crucial because it prepares us for death. If you haven't made this decision yet, or you want to confirm a previous decision, around Easter is a great time to do it. So today is a great day to do it. In fact, each day is a great day to decide to continue to follow Jesus, or to continue, or to start following Him for the first time. It's a great day to decide, I'm going the way, the truth, the life. I'm going with Jesus, the one who has called the Messiah. No, the one who is Messiah. Let's pray. Again, Father, we thank you for sending your Son. We thank you for bringing us here so that we can learn more about him, so that we can grasp his true identity, and so we can decide to follow, and so we can be encouraged by each other to continue to follow, and so that we can know and love you more. Thank you for the great privilege and grace that you display to us by gathering us together each Sunday. Please help us as your people to make wise decisions day by day and each day to make that decision. Yes, I'm following the Lord Jesus. Amen.